make them all straight. Hurry up now! These people showed up my house and they're dying! We started getting all these calls. The initial call, if my memory's right, said there's people dead everywhere in this house. Every ambulance that we had in the city of Huntington went to this neighborhood because we had so many people overdosing. If it isn't exactly the same molecular structure, we can't prosecute that case. Altering fentanyl is causing a new law enforcement loophole that gives drug dealers an upper hand. Hey, this is Eric McCoy, and welcome back to Recovering Through Highness. Hey, so another day, five more deaths that I heard about from an overdose. And this obviously continues to rise and is getting worse and worse. For anybody that's watching this podcast and this is not for you, then please pass this on to people that are using heroin or using fentanyl as their drug of choice uh, or cocaine or methamphetamine. So I guess in a nutshell, anybody that's using any drugs out there and abusing them, please pass this on because there is some informative information in this that I want to share with people. And I want people to understand that number one is that there are people out there that are making drugs purposefully to kill people. And I'll explain why that is. And it's not just your regular fentanyl that I'm talking about, the fentanyl that you find in hospitals. We are actually talking about analogs, and I'm going to explain that a little bit further. Now, I did a podcast with Jody Barber, and I had introduced this rapid response drug test. And this is not your normal pee in a cup and test your urine, uh, because those actually test for the metabolites or the things that your body, when you take a drug, your body will start to convert it into something non-harmful to eliminate from your body. And those tests for those, not the drug itself. This rapid response test tests for um, fentanyl itself. And so I wanted to introduce everybody to this. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this and how this works. And before I do, though, I want to talk a little bit about opiates and what they actually are. And I want to remind everybody who works in this industry, if you work in the field, we need to start changing our tactics. It is time that we stop with the, you know, mentality that all of these people are going to lead treatment and they're going to stay clean and sober because a good percentage are not. We know that there are a lot of people that come into the treatment program with every intention of resting their head, taking a break, lowering their tolerance so they can go back out and they can use again. In that instance, especially for the 
heroin addicts or the people that are using actually fentanyl as their drug of choice, it may be a death sentence. So it's time that we maybe start to also look at if you relapse and if you return to using, let me talk about some protective factors, some protective things that we can use. Harm reduction, which is something that I promote and I talk a lot about, is really about helping get to get people in and to keep people in recovery, but not abstinence as the primary goal. And why would anybody not promote abstinence as the primary goal? And there's a simple answer. Not everybody wants abstinence. I was, you know, if anybody read my book, Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success, the first three chapters are my story. And I describe in that my years and years and years of trying to be successful, to be happy, to be stable, but not to be clean. I didn't want to be clean. I wanted to use. I knew methamphetamine was not something that I was going to be able to use, but I tried smoking weed. I tried to just drink. I tried all of these tactics and it always led me back and it didn't work for me. So for me, my conclusion for me was that abstinence is the only way and the only possible way that I'm going to be happy, stable, and successful in any fashion. So for anybody out there, again, that's watching this, please pass this on to people that are using. And my primary talk today is going to be on fentanyl because this seems to be the biggest death sentence for so many people. And so, you know, the CDC, for instance, um, the CDC has basically said that, you know, in 2018, there were 67,367 drug overdose deaths that occurred in the United States, which is less than what we saw in 2017. 2019, which we don't have the actual numbers, we know that it skyrocketed. And we do know that in 2020, where we're currently at right now, it is enormous, the overdose deaths. We don't have the numbers yet. Opioids, mainly synthetic opioids, and we're not talking about methadone, are currently the main driver of drug overdose deaths. Opioids were involved in 46,802 overdose deaths in 2018. That's 69.5% of all drug overdose deaths. Two out of three opioid-involved overdose deaths involve synthetic opioids. And you know, again, we have drug dealers and drug makers out there that are mixing drugs with every intention on killing you. And again, I'm going to explain why that is. As harm reduction is, again, a big factor with me, and like I said, it is time that we start to teach people. If you relapse, what do you do? And I want to give you guys a quick you know, scenario. I was a drug dealer. I wasn't a drug maker, but I was a drug dealer. I had a dealer who I trusted with the quality of my drugs. I also had a dealer who used. I recommend, number one, that everybody out there that is using 
drugs. And I'm talking cocaine, I'm talking methamphetamine also, because fentanyl is being cut in those. We're seeing overdose deaths from methamphetamine users that are actually dying from fentanyl because it's being cut in it. So one thing I recommend is your dealer, have a dealer uh, that uses the drugs also. So that way when you go and you pick up your dope, I rarely picked up my dope without hanging out with my dealer and getting high with my dealer. So that way, you know, if you're a little bit uncertain, go to your dealer's house, say, hey, why don't you try it a little bit, wait a little bit, see if the guy survives. And then you can use it yourself. Because analogs are something I want to talk about. So we talk about opioids and opiates. And for anybody that's heard my podcast, I've said many times, highness is not a property of drugs. It's a property of people. We get high on our chemicals, not the drugs themselves. And opiates and opioids are going to prove that when I talk to you about this a little bit. So an opiate is something that comes from the opium poppy extracts. And we have the primary ones are morphine, codeine, and thiamine, which are the three primary ones that come into the United States. And so a lot of your medications out there that are opiates are derived from morphine or codeine primarily. And then we have what are called semi-synthetic opiates. And they are also classified in the opiate family because they also come from the opium plant. The only difference being is that there are some other things that are added to it. Heroin is a uh, semi-synthetic opiate and it is derived from morphine. Uh, there's basically a vinaigrette that's added to it, which makes it more lipid soluble, allowing it to get into the blood brain barrier quicker. And so the faster that it gets into the brain, the more addictive it becomes. Uh, hydrocodone, which is, also, which is also known as Vicodin, that is a semi-synthetic. So that comes from the opium plants. But again, there are things that are added to it. And then we come to what I want to actually talk about today. And we are talking about fully synthetic opioids. And so this is actually where opioids come into play. So an opiate comes from the plant. And so how do I say that highness is not a property of drugs, but a property of people? Well, for a drug to work, it, we have to have some counterpart within us for any drug to actually work. And what are we actually getting high on? Not the drug, not the heroin, not the meth, not the coke. We're getting high on dopamine. And this is a neurotransmitter. So all drugs of abuse, they manipulate our chemicals within us. And in the end game, they stimulate the release of dopamine. That is what gets us high. This is in the old part of the brain. This is the survival part of the brain. This is the part of the brain that says, you know what? That shit feels good. And I need to do more of it. And as we continue to do it, our body becomes dependent upon it. 
to where eventually our brain says, I need this to survive. I have to have this to survive. And we know that's not true. And the likelihood is that you will not survive if you continue doing it. But that's what the brain is telling you. Again, I am an ex-drug user. I am an ex-drug dealer. I know the game. I know the whole dark, deep world that these people are in. And so going back to the fully synthetic. So fully synthetic basically says that, okay, the drug is chemically very different than the opiates. But pharmacologically, they are very similar. And so for something to work, we have neurons. And in the neurons, we have receptor sites, right? And you actually have the, you know, it's an electric firing that basically goes down to pass messages on. You have dendrites, you have the cell body of axon, axon terminals. So the firing goes down the dendrites all the way down through. And then you have the neurotransmitters that are in vesicles that are in the, um, the terminals. And when the fire goes, it pushes the vesicles into what's called a synaptic gap. And that's the space that's in between one neuron from another. And on the dendrite of the next neuron, we have receptor sites. And so for a drug to work, it has to be able to seed itself. And so it has to have a shape that we already possess within us to seed itself in that site to do something. And so what do opiates and opioids use for? Well, and so when I talk about the, the counterpart for this, we have what are called endogenous opioids. So we have endogenous opioids. We have them within our body. And so the primary ones are endorphins, there's dynorphins, and then there's enkephalins. And the primary ones that we're talking about are the, the uh, enkephalins and the endorphins. And we're talking about drug use for the opiates. And, we, and again, as I had mentioned, we have receptor sites. And there's a few different types of receptor sites for opiates or opioids. We have mu. We have kappa, we have uh, delta, and we have one that's called nociceptin uh, receptors. And the primary one that we're talking about with these is the mu, okay? And the mu also plays into the rush and the high, also involved in pain relief. So all the, the medical purposes for opioids primarily involve pain relief. Right? And that's what our endogenous opioids are for in, in one aspect, is to reduce pain. They are a survival component. So if, and I was, I'd teach at a school and I always, you know, go, go, a lot of times when I tell stories, I go way extreme. But so I always say like, you know, back in the dinosaur age, <laughs> we're running from a dinosaur and we get injured, we get snipped, it bites us a little bit, Right. We need to have something that's going to relieve enough pain for us to be able to get away. And so the way that works, and again, I'll use a better example, is that if I step on a nail, I step on a nail, I have a neurotransmitter that's called substance P. Substance P, its job is to send that message of pain up to my brain. And we need pain. 
because then we need to know that we got injured. So I step on a nail. And so that substance P is going to shoot from neuron to neuron to neuron up my peripheral nervous system to get to my central nervous system, which is the brain is a part of our central nervous system. And so one of the things that our endorphins do and our endogenous opioids is they will reduce the firing of that message and in some areas will actually stop the release of the message of pain. So we have that within our body. Now, when pain becomes excruciatingly horrible, that's where we come into in hospitals. They use morphine and they use um, uh, fentanyl. Fentanyl is a um, uh, is used in hospitals, primarily used for very very severe pain because it is about fifty to a hundred times more powerful than heroin. And so it is uh, used a lot for cancer patients. Uh, they, they intubate you. They basically put you into like a chemically induced coma. A lot of times fentanyl becomes a part of that process. And so that is what within us, we have this endogenous opioids and this system. This system primarily consists of our brain our brain, our spinal cord, and our gastrointestinal system. And everything that you look at when we talk about drugs and our drugs of abuse, you can actually find a natural way of achieving the same thing that you're getting with drugs. Now, sometimes it's not as extreme, right? So a very, very good scare is similar to a methamphetamine high because of the fight-or-flight neurotransmitters that kick in. If um, going out to the gym, and this is the perfect example for opiates and opioids, is that when you go out to the gym and you work out excessively, you tear muscles, you get releases of endorphins and keptins, right? You're reducing pain. Now, the natural process of what happens with opi op or endogenous opioids is that you get the release of pain and then there is also a release of dopamine which is a natural process. So you actually get the, that's what we call the runner's high. It is, a, it is a natural scenario. Now, we can even take this a step further and when we talk about overdose. So overdose, there's a, a um, normal thing that happens within us that is exactly like overdose, and it's what we call shock. So if you are in war, you get drastically injured, and your body ends up going into shock. Well, what is that? Well, that is our endogenous opioids that are rushing up into our brainstem. And they are seeding themselves in the receptor sites. Well, what is our brainstem? Well, it controls our autonomic functions. This controls our heart rate, our breathing. All the things that we don't think about, but the natural things that ultimately keep us alive. And so as they seat themselves in all these receptor sites, our breathing slows down, our heart rate slows down. Why? In shock, because our body is trying to reduce the excessive bleeding. If we can slow the heart rate down, slow things up a little bit, we won't bleed out so fast. Now, sadly, a lot of people that do go into shock due to excessive bleeding do pass away uh, because of loss of blood. But 
that is basically a very similar scenario of what overdose is for opioids or opiates. So people slam heroin, they do too much. Once they start seeding themselves in the receptor sites in our brainstem, then our heart rate slows down, our breathing slows down, and eventually they stop. It goes too far if there's too much of it. And so I wanted to share that a little bit before I actually get into talking about fentanyl. So I encourage abstinence for anybody who is dependent, both physically and psychologically. But I also live in the real world. And I know that the only way that anybody is ever going to achieve abstinence that we are hopefully these people get is they need to stay alive long enough for that day to come. But now, obviously, we know, sadly, it won't for some. So when I was originally planning on this podcast, I was going to actually purchase heroin to show exactly how this works. Now, I decided against it for a lot of different reasons. Um, and But I want to make sure that everybody truly understands that the only safe method is to not use the drug, period. A dip test, like I have here, has limitations on its effectiveness, which I'm going to explain. And analogs are going to make it even more problematic, which I'm also going to describe a little bit more in detail. Now, we are seeing nowadays more and more people seeking out fentanyl as their drug of choice. And some people think, oh, maybe this is safer. And, you know, in some cases it could be if it was strictly fentanyl, um, especially the, um, the hospital form of fentanyl. But you're also very misguided if, if you believe that. And the reason is, is because of analogs. And again, we're going to talk about that. So fentanyl was first made by a guy by the name of Paul Jansen in 1960. And it was approved for medical use in the United States in 1968. It is a, as I had said, a fully synthetic opioid that's used as a pain medication. And it's also used with other medications for anesthesia. It has a very rapid onset. And its effects generally last less than two hours. Medically, fentanyl is used by injection, nasal spray, skin patch, or can be absorbed through the cheek as a lozenge or a tablet. <clears throat> common side effects. This to me doesn't sound fun, but common side effects are vomiting, constipation, sedation, confusion, hallucinations, and injuries related to poor coordination if people are falling. Serious side effects are decreased breathing, which is respiratory depression, low blood pressure, addiction, coma, and obviously death in some of the cases that we're seeing. It is between 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine. And some analogs, such as carfentanil, are around 10,000 times stronger. 2017, fentanyl was the most widely used synthetic opioid in medicine. In 2016, fentanyl 
and analogs were the most common cause of overdose deaths in the United States at more than 20,000, about half of all opioid-related deaths. Most of these overdose deaths were due to illegally made fentanyl. Now, I had mentioned carfentanil, and if you look at my screen behind me, carfentanil, which is an analog of fentanyl, and an analog is a compound that has a structure that is similar to that of another compound, such as fentanyl, but differing in respect to a certain component. So it can differ in one or more atoms. It can differ in functional groups or substructures, which are replaced again by other atoms or groups or substructures. Despite a high chemical similarity, structural analogs are not necessarily functional analogs and can have very different physical, chemical, biochemical, or pharmacological properties. Now, chemical analogs of illegal drugs are developed and they are sold in order to circumvent laws. Now, and this is what we call designer drugs. And because of this, the United States passed the Federal Analog Act, which was in 1986. This bill banned the production of any chemical analog of a Schedule I or a Schedule II substance that has um, substantially similar pharmacological effects with the intent of human consumption. Now, we're also seeing, of course, that many people have died after consuming counterfeit pharmaceutical pills that contain fentanyl. We're now seeing fentanyl, as I had said, laced in cocaine, methamphetamine. And the term fentanyl refers to fentanyl and all of the analogs. And carfentanil is so strong that a fatal dose is invisible to the naked eye. And I believe truly that a lot of these deaths out there is a result of carfentanil is one of the biggest, biggest factors. And there are people out there that are purposefully mixing carfentanil in your drugs. When somebody purposefully puts carfentanil in your drugs, they want you dead. So carfentanil was actually made by the same guy that made fentanyl, Paul Jensen. And it was used for very large animals. It is not for humans. It is actually used and was used for like rhinoceroses, elephants, humongous animals. And a tiny, tiny amount, if we put it in us, we're guaranteed to die. Guaranteed to die. And again, there are people out there that are mixing up the dope, purposefully putting in carfentanil to fucking kill you. No other reason. Because they know. They know. And I guarantee you, those people are not going to use it themselves. What do we almost call that? Terrorists? Yeah. Because they want you dead. 
So I'm trying to figure out a way that we can curb this and that we can look at these douchebags out there that are weak, that are you know thriving off of people that are suffering. And they are weak. They obviously can't hold a real job. Maybe they're stupid. They're, you know, it's kind of the way I see it. These people are idiots. They lack intelligence. All they know is, oh, let's put some shit in this dope and fucking sell it to people. <laughs> so this is serious. This is very serious that I'm talking about here. And again, pass this on to people. So these tests that I have, according to the pamphlet that will actually come with it, can detect most, but not all of the analogs. So a negative test does not guarantee it is free from all the analogs, but it's safer than not testing at all. This strip does detect the most deadly analog, which is carfentanil. Now, something to keep in mind. When fentanyl is mixed with other drugs, it is never mixed evenly. And this is what's called the chocolate chip cookie effect. That says that one side of a baggie may contain none, while the other side could be a fatal dose. So the first method that is described, and a lot of people are not going to like this, but it is something important to, to listen to, and maybe we can get people to consider this. But the first method that is described on their pamphlet by the company recommends testing every bit that you plan to consume, every single bit that you plan to consume. So what does this mean? Well, the safest is to not use it, again, at all. But the second best is to drink your dose. Now, the downfall for users of cocaine and meth who like to snort it, uh, it will take longer to feel the effects, but there is a perk behind it. The effects will last longer. This testing product can be purchased, and this is the website, dancesafe.org. Dance, is it dancing? We're being safe.org. So dancesafe.org. And this is where you also get the complete instructions and the three methods with, again, the best, don't use it. Second best is to drink it. The third best would be taking the residue from the bag. And then the last method, which is for the IV users, you're going to collect residue from your spoon or from your cooker. So method number one is you're going to place your drug in a small glass that you plan on consuming. Now, you're going to add water, and the amount that you add, again, you're going to get instructions on this, will vary depending on the drug that you're ultimately taking. So again, read your instructions that you get on the amount of water. You're going to stir the contents until it is dissolved, and then you are going to hold the blue end of the test strip and you're going to insert it into the liquid. Do not go above this blue line. And you're going to allow it to travel up the strip into the test area, which takes about 15 seconds. You're going to set it down 
on a flat surface and you're going to wait about two minutes. Wait about two minutes. Now, to read the test, it is just like if anybody has ever done a urinalysis test. One line means it's positive for fentanyl or the analogs. Two lines, it is negative. But again, I want to warn everybody that just because it is a two-line negative test does not mean that it, do, it does not have all of the analogs in it. So what do we do? We make sure that we hang out with our dealer. We have the dealer do the dope. And let's wait a little bit and watch if he survives or she survives, and then we do the dope ourselves. All right. So method two. All right, this is not defined as the best. Again, the best, don't do it. Third best is to test the residue that is stuck inside of the baggie that your drugs came in. Now, this may not detect all the fentanyl because of the chocolate chip effect. But you're going to follow the instructions on the pamphlet with the amount of water and you're going to do the same thing within the baggie. You're going to put it in. Don't go above the line. Wait till it goes up about 15 seconds into the test area. Set it down, wait about two minutes, and then read your results. Third method. Actually, fourth method, sorry. First one is don't do it. Second one is drink it. Third one is the residue, and so this is the fourth method, which is for the IV drug users. Now, I want to remind everybody that, you know, the, the, the methods of use that you use, I was an IV meth user. IV drug use is the most dangerous. And, and the reason being is that our body has protective mechanisms against various different things. And so when we eat something, there's protective mechanisms that we have um, if you snort something, there are some, you know, protective mechanisms. When you IV, use an IV, when you stick a needle in your arm, you are bypassing all of those protective mechanisms. So this is the most dangerous method. Now, when you do it with IV drug users, we recommend, or the company recommends, to test every time that you inject because of that chocolate chip effect. And um, so after preparing your shot, you're going to set the needle aside and you're going to wait before you slam it. Just be patient for a second. I know, it, I know you're urgent. It's, a, it's an urgency. But you're going to add about a quarter of a teaspoon into the spoon or into the cooker. You're going to, again, hold the blue line, insert the other end into the liquid, allow it to travel up the strip. But this time it may take about 30 seconds. You're going to set it down. You're going to wait about two minutes to get the results. One line positive, two lines negative. And that is what these are. And this, again, is rapid response. You can get them on that site, dancesafe.org. They're about $20 for 10 of them. And, um, and so this is, again, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out, trying to think of ways that we can help curb this overdose. And I want to again warn everybody 
if you're doing a drug that has carfentanil in it, you are going to die most likely. Period. And it happens quickly. It happens very quickly. And so, carfentanil is one of the most dangerous analogs of fentanyl. And like I said, go to your dealer. Make sure you get high with your dealer. Watch your dealer do it first. If you have a, if you have a dealer that does not use the drugs, find another dealer. Find another dealer. Because that, to me, when I, when I think of, and I, and I know this is kind of shitty to say, but, you know, <clears throat> I've talked before about, you know, the, you know, the consequences that, you know, people want to put on, like, drug dealers of the, um, uh, you know, death penalty, you know, or the various different things. And I will say that I'm not necessarily opposed to the execution of the people that are mixing up these drugs, but not doing it themselves. Those are the people that are dangerous. And those are the people that are killing people. I was a drug dealer, but I also was a drug dealer that was doing it to support my habit. Now, again, that's not a great justification, but I was also only selling to people that were primarily doing it themselves already. So it wasn't that I'm out there, you know, trying to find people to get high on dope so I can, you know, um, you know, get them fucked up or anything. So, um, so if you use drugs, make sure you have a dealer that's doing it. Make sure that you have somebody that's like, you know what, I want to make sure that I'm selling good quality stuff. So I'm going to test it myself. I did. I always made sure that I knew exactly what was the quality of my stuff, how good it was, because then you can sell it a little bit better too. Man, it's some great shit, you know? And so this is why, again, I think it is so important. All the clinicians out there, we need to stop with this fucking idea that people are going to leave treatment and they're going to stay clean and sober or that they have intentions on even doing it. We know usually a lot of the times the people that are there just to take a break. And again, their tolerance is going to go down. They go out and relapse. They're going to use what they were using before they came in because they knew that's what was getting them high. But the sad part is their tolerance has gone down drastically. We talk about fentanyl and just like the pharmaceutical, you know, hospital grade fentanyl. For somebody that has used a lot of heroin excessively for a long period of time, a little bit of fentanyl is not going to kill you. But carfentanil will. And I don't care how much you how much you've done. If you do, if you do heroin, or if you're somebody that does fentanyl as your drug of choice, and somebody has put carfentanil into your drug you will die. Listen to me. This is scary and this is deadly. And so I want people to start thinking about this. You know, maybe we just need to move away from the whole pitching of abstinence thing. Now, again, I encourage abstinence personally, but not everybody's going to do it. We need to make that, you know, make that clear in our minds 
that not everybody's intention is to stay clean and sober. Harm reduction, let's think about it. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of Recovering Through Highness. Let's stay alive. Let's share this information with people. Please pass this on. There are people out there making dope that want you dead. If they put carfentanil in your drug, they want you dead. They are executing you. Think about it. Again, dancesafe.org. You can buy these tests. Safest method. Don't do it. But there are other methods that we could maybe look at this and, and curb this. Get and get a drug dealer that uses so you can make sure that you watch them do it. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Recovering Through Highness. Look forward to talking to you soon. Darkness, we find the light. Everything